0: Every Chinese person is taught since birth to 想办法, which means to figure out a way to get something done. And behind this phrase that Chinese parents tell their children, both as encouragement and as conditioning, it also implies by any means necessary. Just a generation ago, China experienced massive famine through the Great Leap Forward, and the survival instincts left behind can still be felt in how parents and grandparents teach their children today. Perhaps this is why it seems most Chinese people are so creative in getting things done, and leveraging their guanxi connections just to gain an advantage. But let's think a little deeper. How is this different from being taught in the West to quote unquote, find a solution or try to find a solution? Or you need to learn to ask for help? Well. First, we need to forget about the translations because they don't quite capture the essence of the experiences. Instead, we need to understand how Chinese people feel and how it influences their thinking. In the Chinese cultural context, asking for help or even asking questions, as we're accustomed to doing in the West, is the opposite of 想办法. Chinese children are taught in strict disciplinary terms to never question authority. Curiosity is not encouraged, while discipline and harmony are integrated into every aspect of Chinese life. So this is where any belief in quote-unquote universal values sets the stage for conflict. If you've already preordained that someone else's reasoning or behavior is wrong, then you have anointed yourself judge and jury. And perhaps, it's not difficult to imagine what happens next in a relationship. After my conversation with Mr. Bauer about Richard's shenanigans, my separation package was quickly approved, and I was ready to move on. In retrospect, I believe even a conservative German company realizes that sometimes it's better to zheng yi zi or turned a blind eye to the details of Richard's activities. They had enjoyed the market penetration he'd created for almost a decade with perhaps only occasional uneasiness with some of his explanations. So it was unwise to suddenly send in paratroopers. Of course, I'm referring to my sudden presence in his backyard. The only way to change things internal to China is to change things from within. And the point I want to make is that No matter what you think of Richard's methods, he survived and thrived because of his ability to 想办法. And when we stop judging Chinese people for their actions and begin having a little more empathy, we realize how foolhardy it is to assume that they should have the same moral and ethical guardrails as we do in the West. Getting things done in China is survival of the fittest. And that's the mindset left over from To get rich is glorious, a simplified translation of what Deng Xiaoping told his country a generation ago. And to add a little bit more perspective, Deng also declared that some people should get rich first. China isn't a level playing field, and nothing is designed to be fair. In fact, everything is designed to further China's 100-year ascension back to glory after 100 years of humiliation at the hands of foreign colonialists, rapists, and drug dealers. China is not homogeneous, and there are no absolutes in anything we say or analyze about how Chinese people think and behave. That said, Those working at Chinese state-owned enterprises or SOEs represent a sizable demographic, and they are a helpful contrast for understanding Chinese cultural dichotomies with the West. Industrial companies expanding into China typically must enter into joint ventures or JVs with Chinese SOEs. Differences in management philosophy aside, Both sides want more efficient processes in their China operations. So foreign consultants are paid top dollar or euros to implement new business processes. Our client was a Dutch company that hires the same team of consultants every year for an improvement project that is ironically called even better. There are three locations, one in North America, one in Europe, and one in China. And every year, this project comes up short of expectations in China, based on the KPIs and according to what happens after the on-site consultants leave. You see, in China, there's a lot of lip service and 表面功夫, which means giving face and putting on a show to appease your constituents. It means going through the motions of behaving properly to get a check mark or a passing grade, and then immediately reverting to the old ways after the authorities have left. Our project charter included a clause to verify the new process we implemented were still being utilized six months after we left, which is high risk in an environment where everyone gives face, lip service, and performs 表面功夫. I don't think this will work in China. Our system works everywhere in the world, so you just need to trust the process and they will eventually accept the new ways of working, said Stephen, the consultant who was onboarding me during my first week on site in Nanjing. Stephen is Singaporean, young and a couple inches shorter than me. He had an out of shape looking medium build with Elvis like slick black hair. He also had what I discovered to be a consultant's mentality of always being right. But he looked worn from traveling and living months on a road at a time. Such is life as a consultant. Stephen was involved in the even better project the year prior, so he likely assumed they brought me on board because the feedback from local management was they wanted a quote unquote Chinese speaking consultant, as if language was the only reason this program failed in China year after year. After all, what can go wrong with on-site consultants training, measuring, and documenting the daily and weekly process of a carefully designed project charter with milestones and deliverables every step of the way. After a week of teaching local team members how to have effective meetings and getting buy-in from the Chinese management team, you'd think our proven methodology would take care of itself. My workstream counterpart was Mrs. Wang, the vice president of marketing and sales. I called her Wang Zong. Mrs. Wang was a kind-looking Chinese woman around 50 years old, with a lifetime working at a Chinese state-owned enterprise. Actually, every local staff member at her client site only knew one career, working at an SOE. So everyone had a baseline iron rice bowl mentality. Yao Wenqing, Deng Baodong, Chen Bing and Hua Bao. Yes, I still remember the Chinese names of the four-member sales team assigned to the commercial excellence work stream. Yao Wenqing and I hit it off right away because he was a huge NBA fan. He couldn't believe that I played on the same basketball court with Kenny Anderson and Dennis Scott, former NBA players from Georgia Tech, who played pickup games around campus during the off Kenny lived in the dorm room next to mine at Woodruff Dormitory, so I saw him quite a bit on campus before he left for the New Jersey Nets after only two years. Yao Wenqing was short and a little chubby with a jovial smile and the youngest sale team member, which probably meant he had a little bit more ambition than Hua Bao, who'd been working at Sinopac for almost 20 years. Sinopac is the Chinese state-owned petroleum and chemical company and our client's local JV partner in Nanjing. The plant where I was assigned produced the raw materials used to make Nylon 66, which is the base material for water-resistant fabric, such as Gore-Tex. I recall during my first week on-site, accompanying Hua Bao for a smoke break outside, and I was listening to him hold forth and complaining about this and that, and letting him unleash a torrent of complaints about last year's consultants. The striking thing was his honesty about the 表面功夫 or lip service they would give to the foreign consultants. He apparently didn't think of me as a foreign consultant, which was a good sign. Hua Bao said they would nod their heads at everything the consultant said, and then they would 想其他的办法, which means they would figure out another way to get their work done. When you add 其他的 to 想办法, it means figuring out another way to get things done besides what was recommended. No one wants to learn anything new at an SOE, especially if it made people more productive. But they all went through the motions in front of the overpaid foreign consultants in a classic display of 表面功夫, the martial arts of superficial deception. Let's pause and think about this for a moment. I made over a thousand US dollars per day plus expenses and stayed at a five-star hotel paid by Sinopac to train them on something they thought was useless. They earn less than a 10th of the amount I was receiving. So within the context of their iron rice bowl mentality, what would be their motivation to help us meet our KPIs? Now, let's think about this culturally. If they completed their tasks More effectively and more efficiently, they might be rewarded with more work at the same level of compensation. That's the logic of their thinking. And if they didn't receive more work, they'd be left having to 打发时间, which means they'd have to kill time. These are the iron rice bowl mentality symptoms, doing the minimum amount possible to keep rice on the table and your family fed all the while believing that the nail that sticks up will get hammered down. I recall chatting with an Uber driver in Shanghai who told me he started driving during the day to or kill time during his shift at the local water processing plant where he'd worked his entire life. He literally had one task that he had to perform twice per day. In the morning, review the meters and check a box that everything was running smoothly. And then once again, late in the afternoon, repeat that task. So no one wants to be more productive at an SOE and bear resentment from others with the same iron rice bowl mentality, as they have all been conditioned to pursue a comfortable life. There are no real ambitions like finding greater purpose, or serving others, or even making more money if it requires extra work. Culturally, they all want to or to live, literally. That's it. This is the iron rice bowl mentality. We just want to live, and preferably without doing any work. So when Chinese people seem hesitant to give their opinions in a formal meeting, you can try to imagine their iron rice bowl inclinations to understand why. Mrs. Wong was my workstream counterpart for commercial excellence. I would walk into her office every day to chat about anything and everything, related or unrelated to our project charter. It turns out our initial icebreaker was talking about Chinese tea. I had recently begun learning Chinese tea drinking ceremonies after my wife's uncle had given me a very expensive Jin Jun Mei, a famous black tea from the Wei Mountains or Wu San in Fujian province. I brought the Jin Jun Mei along with a Chinese tea brewing set to Nanjing with the idea that it could help me foster closer guanxi relationships. A simple tea ceremony begins with boiling water and rinsing the utensils, the little teacup, and the little teapot. Next, you smell the tea leaves. Jingju has a deep, smoky, sweet, fruity, and flowery aroma that prepares you like an addiction for what's to come. A few pinches of the dry, shrunken tea leaves are placed into the teapot, and they are rinsed swiftly with boiling water. The teapot is filled with boiling water, and then it is poured onto the tea tray with a water catcher underneath a wood mesh top. This step is to clean the tea leaves before brewing, and it's okay to rinse the teacups again at any time throughout the process. Next, the teacup is filled to the rim with boiling water, and this time a little cap is placed over the covering hole for about 20 seconds. The tea is then poured into a clear glass teapot with an open mouth so the reddish color of the tea can be examined. If it looks okay, the tea is then poured into tiny teacups, smaller than a sake glass, in front of each participant. The receivers tap their fingers twice next to the filled teacups as an appreciation gesture and clamp the teacups on the outside edges with two fingers and raise the cup to their noses to sniff the aroma. Everyone begins sipping at their own pace and the conversations start. This ritual then repeats and continues at as the tea ceremony itself becomes an afterthought. And when the tea color becomes too light after a few cycles, the old tea leaves are dumped and replaced with a new batch. It worked. The, the tea ceremony gave us a common interest without Li Yi considerations. But penetrating deeper will require many more mutually beneficial conversations, face-giving exchanges, and overtures for connections and opportunities. I had to take a personal fall for missing all of our KPIs during the first couple of weeks because I knew it would be unwise to rush the process. Steven wasn't happy, but he could see that I socialized with all the local Conrads like I was one of their own. Hey, this is Gene. Did you enjoy this episode? Chinese tea ceremonies that can last hours during a workday reflect the Chinese mindset of killing time as a ritual while deepening guanxi as a custom. It wasn't unusual for me to have multiple tea ceremonies every day while working on site in Nanjing, five days a week for 40 straight weeks. But it wasn't until the daytime tea ceremonies carried over into after work activities that I earned the trust needed to influence behaviors and outcomes. So try to enjoy and appreciate more Chinese traditions. And with each interaction, you'll move one step closer to that enviable position on the inside where the Chinese grass is always greener.